0: All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, thank you, podium people, that's very helpful. Uh, title of this message, if you'd like to take notes, is The Path of Resilience, The Path of Resilience. Let's read verse 16 and, uh, through 18, and we'll pray and we'll talk about the passage. Paul the Apostle writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way this evening. We know that your Holy Spirit is real and your word is straight from your mouth. So we pray that the living God would be heard tonight even as I speak with my, my human words. Lord, give us wisdom, give us insight, and thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So, unless I haven't talked about it enough, you know, I am a dad of four, four small children. And uh, kids have resilience. They don't have infinite energy, although sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like when they're bouncing off the walls, bouncing on the couch, just bouncing everywhere, you feel like, is this ever gonna stop? Is this ever gonna end? But there comes a point in the day if it's nap time for the younger ones and for the older ones, if it's like nine o'clock, they start fading, especially if they ran around all day uh, and they just fall out. You know, their energy wanes and they're they're done. But here's what I found. It's not like those of us in 20s and 30s in the morning. What happens? I mean, for the 99.9 percent of us, you wake up in the morning and you want to stay in bed. Right. You're tired. You can hardly open your eyes. And there's like the 0.1% of us that's just like you're a morning person and you're a freak of nature. I don't understand you. We have to bring you to a laboratory and examine you. But you are like my children. In this, every single morning, I know for a fact my children will be knocking on the door, eyes wide open, bouncing off the walls, ready for another day of bouncing, right? They're resilient. And If it happens for whatever reason that they don't come knocking on the wall, I freak out. I wake up and it's like six in the morning and I don't hear anything. I'm worried, are my kids alive? Are they okay? And I go to check on them because it's normal for them to replenish their energy as they sleep and they wake up and it starts all over again. Now, here's the thing. That is this concept called resilience. The ability to bounce back after you've encountered hardship. And Christians should be the most resilient people on the planet, meaning that you may feel depleted, but you bounce back. You may feel like you're crushed by hardship, but you bounce back. Why is that? Because the most resilient person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, lives in you and lives in me. That's how I know that if it's, if it's the case that Jesus died and then three days later we celebrate this for easter right he rose again from the dead and he gives life to us today then it should be the case that we experience trials and sufferings and hardship differently than anybody else as the rest of the world is getting crushed right now as everybody else is losing hope our hope should be living growing turning into something beautiful and so paul he, he expresses this really weird, strange phenomenon, right? He says, therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the inward person is being renewed day by day. So when he says we do not lose heart, here's what it means, according to the Strong's Concordance. The meaning there in the Greek is to be utterly spiritless, to be worried out, Or exhausted. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, it's probably all of us, felt exhausted this past week. Felt exhausted this past year. Right? I read the study. According to uh, Mental Health America, they did a survey of 1.5 million people. Those of us that work with teenagers, you'll want to pay attention to this. Over half of 11 to 17 year olds reported having thoughts of suicide or self-harm more than half or nearly every day of the previous two weeks when they took that survey. So every day, nearly every day of the past two weeks, they said, yes, I thought about taking my own life. For those between 11 and 17, out of 1.5 million people that were surveyed. So we're seeing, you know, you see this on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. People are talking about mental health. People are talking about depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. It's a real thing. But Christians, we truly should experience these things in a different way. Now, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't experience them, period. Because we're going to have them. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so the question for tonight is this. How do you bounce back after feeling defeated? How do you regain your energy? How do you become like a morning person, like you people that I want to be like? How do you get it so, so that even though you feel like you're under the pressure of the world, the weight of the world, somehow, some way, the next day you rise up again in power and strength. Well, there's three things, I think, that keep Christians resilient in the face of hardship and we'll explore them this evening through this passage. The first one is found in verse 16, and that's this. Daily renewal. Daily renewal. So once again, he says, we don't lose heart. We don't feel worried out. We're not going to be exhausted. Because even though our outward person is perishing or dying, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, what's what's funny about this to me is that, isn't it true, culture completely focuses on the opposite. The inner man is perishing, and the outward man is the one who's being renewed day by day. Right, The way that you look on social media, everybody is focusing on the outward. How do I present myself in a way? I mean, this is every single Zooming meeting you ever have done, right? Especially in college or for work. It's like you barely got yourself together. Like people you know, wearing their shorts or whatever. They're just focusing on the outward appearance, but not focusing on the inward. But here's the thing. I have a word of prophecy that I can guarantee is going to be true for all of us. So you're you're waiting for like a word from God, a prophetic word. Here's a prophetic word. All of us are going to be ugly one day. (laughs) How do I know that? Because we're all getting old. All of us are, right? Our bodies are decomposing. The hour man is perishing. And sometimes we forget that because we're still somewhat young. And we look in the mirror and we focus on the outward. But do you really want to wait till you're 85 to realize that investing in your appearance isn't what really mattered? The inner man is the one we're supposed to be focusing on. Because Paul concedes yes, the outer man is perishing, but how is your inner man doing? Now, if you look earlier in the, in the passage, verse seven, here's what Paul describes with the same context. He says this We have this treasure. In earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in these kind of like these earthen vessels. Like it's nothing really spectacular about the vessel. It's all about the treasure. So that people realize it's about God, not about us. Verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body, the the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. So how many of us, this is our description, except we don't have like the renewal part says, we're hard-pressed, crushed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and we're destroyed. That's the way that you feel. But Paul says, I had all that. But you know what? I'm not giving up. I don't lose heart because he's being renewed in his inner man day by day. So let me ask you this. Do you experience daily renewal? Now, I'll give you as a pastor, which obviously means I'm very spiritual. I'll give you my secret daily routines, never yet revealed, okay? My secret daily routines. If you want to be like me, this is how you can be like me, okay? Every single day, here's my daily routine. Number one, I shower every day, and the result is I smell good. Number two, every day I eat something, and I have strength. And number three, yes, every day I sleep, and when I wake up, I have some sort of energy. That is my secret daily routine. You want to be like me, that's exactly how you do it. Now, That's obviously a joke, but think about this. We can usually tell when those three things that all of us do. We can tell when people are skipping those routines, right? You can tell if I haven't slept. You can tell if I haven't eaten for long periods of time, and you can definitely tell if I haven't showered. But what does it look like when you neglect your inner man? Are you a little bit more impatient? Are you a little bit more frustrated with your friends, with your siblings, with your parents, with your boss? How can we neglect the most important thing if all of us go about taking care of the outward thing? So then maybe you're thinking, well, how do you, how do you take like an inner shower? How do, you, how do you renew the inner man? Well, here's what Paul says. He says in verse 7, He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So here's here's how you do it. You can renew the inner man by number one, focus on storing up treasure inside and not on always trying to fix up what's outside. Focus on what you're putting inside, the treasure. Because here's, here's what I found. The potential of treasure is diminished when you haven't recognized its value. I mean, treasure is kind of worthless, isn't it? If you don't value it for what it is. Think about if you're old enough to remember this Antiques Roadshow, when, it, when you, these people bring in this stuff and they're like, hey, I just found this in my garage. I'm like, whoa, this is an ancient artifact and it's actually worth $2 million. I'm like, oh really? I had no idea I was going to throw it out or give it you know, in the, in the junk sale or something. When you don't recognize the value of what you have then its power is going to be diminished. And those of us that are believers and those who say that they follow Jesus, have you recognized that we have access to true treasure? Unlike the world, the world that does not profess faith in God and does not believe in God has no God to access and therefore has no power to access, no peace, no joy, no everlasting love to tap into because they don't believe in a God Of love. So imagine if right now it's kind of cold, right? If my kids, I kind of set them loose with squirt guns and they're squirting you on the way in. How ticked off would you be? be? Like, oh, they're so cute. But like, really? I'm like, I hate Alan's whole family, right? Because I, like, you didn't need that. However, if you're in the middle of the desert and you haven't drank anything in a week and somebody squirted you with water, you probably feel pretty good about that. It all depends on how you value the treasure that's inside of you. And here's, here's the thing. Do you realize that Jesus said that those that would believe in him, out of their hearts would flow torrents of living water? And you may not recognize it right now, but there are people who are thirsty all around you. In this world, whenever people are ticked off, whenever people are angry, whenever people are posting things you know, about the news or the state of society, people are saying, I am thirsty. I want something fixed in my world. And you and I have the solution because Jesus Christ came into this world 2000 years ago to put an end to death, hatred, racism, violence. And one day he's going to fulfill all those things. And in the meantime, until he comes back because he has mercy on this world, until he returns, he sent you and I to be ambassadors into the world, to be agents who are slowly proclaiming the kingdom to come where there is no pain or sorrow or death or tears because he's going to make all things new. So number one, focus on storing up treasure inside. Number two, daily seek to fill up with more of God's spirit. Uh, It's been said, you know, we Christians are leaky vessels. We are filled with God's spirit but somehow, someway, we seem to lose that power over time if we're not constantly filling up. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So all of us are called to have that extra measure of God's power and His Spirit living inside of us. To not just say, I have enough. You know, I go to church once a week, so I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to pray. I don't have to talk to God. All of us should be filled with, to a place that we're overflowing and we have more in measure to give to other people around us that need him. So we should be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. Andrew Murray, who's a popular uh, pastor and author, um, he once said this, did ever a father or mother think, for today I want my child to love me? So in other words, has a father or mother ever said like, I just want my child to love me today. That's it. No, they expect the love every day. And so God wants his child every moment to have a heart filled with the love of the spirit. So daily renewal. Number two, the eternal perspective. How do we maintain resilience? We have an eternal perspective. Look at verse 17. So Paul continues and he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So uh, this is where we all go, like if you're not skimming through the Bible or you're just not zoning out like I often do in a Bible study, you know, light affliction, what is he talking about? Like think about just how bad, I don't want to like diss Paul, but how bad of a counselor he would be if you're just like throwing on your garbage and like the, here's the worst thing that ever happened to me in my, in my life. And he goes, ah, oh, that's such light affliction. You know, like that's so insensitive. I guess it helps that he's talking about himself, but he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. L- let me describe for you Paul's light affliction, just so you know, just so that we're like, okay, Paul's this insensitive, out of touch pastor who lives in a mansion and he has no understanding of what real life people go through. And believe you me, I know what you guys go through because I talk to you guys. I know in this room, there's people who are struggling. People who have been hurt, molested, raped. People who have all kinds of hardship, not able to pay your bills. People who have been homeless. You guys have been through hardship. Listen to what Paul describes his own hardship in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He's talking to these people who claim to be like super apostles People say, like, ah, don't listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, the guy looks like a wimp. His letters are kind of bold, but then when you see him in person, he's not, he's he's like not a big deal. And so he feels like he has to vouch for his own credentials. And here's what he says. He says, "Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and deaths often." From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he says, five times I got 39 stripes, like whippings, which was the maximum because 40, they would say that you died. That happened to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Like that's our worst nightmare is being on a cruise and then you're shipwrecked. That happened to him three times. And he kept on wanting to do it. Preach the gospel, get out there. He says, a night and a day I've been in the deep. And journeys often, in perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils amongst uh, false brethren, and weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I love how he put that last. He was just like, I had all these terrible things happen to me, and then like, the most heavy thing upon me is my deep concern for how's the church doing? How are the people of God doing? Did you know like in the book of Acts, it talks about how people actually vowed that they would not eat until they murdered Paul. That's how much people hated him and wanted to see him dead. And so that's what he talks about as like all that stuff, shipwrecked three times, you know, whipped five times, 39 stripes. All of that is light affliction. Not a big deal. And you look at that and you're like, well, I've never been through anything like that. How in the world could Paul still call that light affliction? Well, here's how, and I'll, I'll explain it by an analogy. Once again, using my children. I promise I'll go back to my single person illustrations one day, but for now, let me like write out the like dad vibes. So um, one thing that you find when you have kids is like me having four kids. Everyone goes, "Oh man, I don't know how you did it. You're single until you're 28, and then you married a single mom, and then you instantly had three kids, and now you have, you know, another kid. So now you have four kids. Like how do you? you know, so they look at me like I'm like this freak of nature, right? So they're just so confused on how that could happen. But what I found is I can't ever complain about how how difficult or how hard it is around Brian Dumphy, who is our children's pastor. Now, if you go to this church, you know, our children's pastor, he has nine children. Nine. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. So anytime that anyone's ever talking to me about that aspect, I feel like I can never complain to him because his response is this. I have nine kids. So it's like, oh, I don't know. Like this morning Tatum was like knocking on the door and I couldn't sleep because of Nova and throughout the night she kept on, you know, whatever. And he goes, I have nine kids. And that's it. That's his response. So here's here's what I found. The weight of your hardship is relative to the weight of your inheritance. It's all relative, right? So what I experienced as a hardship is only relative to something else. And I may compare it to everybody else's hardship. And sometimes you feel like you're the only person who goes through what you go through. So because of that, you feel like you can never open up to anybody else. You can never trust anybody else. But here's what Paul is saying. It's light affliction in comparison to the weight of glory. What you get in return is so far worth it. that it doesn't really, He doesn't even think about it. And even beyond that, it's all for a moment. Which means that your worst days are days at worst. The worst moment of your life is but a moment. And we have an eternal weight of glory that's awaiting for us for those that profess Jesus as Lord. So this is where in Hebrews it talks about we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, even Jesus looked at the cross and all of its horror, looked at the hostility, he would encounter the betrayal And he knew it would all be worth it because he would gain us, the church. And so we, when we put into perspective what it is that we gain, it makes our affliction much lighter. And so, and here's the other thing too. This affliction is not meaningless. This is why he says, it's light affliction, momentary, and it's working for us, he says in verse 17. It's working for us. Meaning that, none of your pain is ever purposeless. Nothing you ever go through is, in, is without purpose. That it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's like when you're exercising, you're training for a purpose. And there's nothing worse than experiencing suffering that you cannot understand why it's happening. Right, that's the first question that pops in our mind. Our friend passes away. And our first question is, Why did this have to happen? Which is not a question you can answer, by the way, if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. Because the answer would be, it just happens because that's the course of nature. Things live and things die. But all of us know deep down inside that life was not designed to be this way. There's something beyond this world. And all of us know that there's something evil about death. But for the Christian, we know that all of this peril, The affliction is all working for us. Did you know that there would be no forgiveness without the cross? There would be no victory over sin without Jesus's death. And so our affliction itself is not without meaning, which means that we inherit a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, eternity sounds scary. I don't know. If you feel that way, but I've always felt that way. The thought of eternity forever. It's just like, you can't even wrap your mind around that. What does that even look like? You just imagine being bored for all eternity and your pictures of heaven is like, you're all just angels and you're all bald and you're all dressed in white and you sing worship songs for all of eternity. And Katie Johnson's not there to lead you in worship. So you don't know what you're going to do, right? Like that's your vision of heaven. You're like, this sounds terrible. But here's what I can say. None of us know what it's like to be in heaven. None of us know what that eternal, exceeding weight of glory looks like or feels like, but I do know what my best momentary achievement has felt like. I know what it's like to be able to achieve something, you know, in rock climbing, in school, at a job, have that feeling when I proposed to my wife and I felt like I was, you know, on top of the moon. I know what that's like. And I have to imagine that that's not the best that God has yet to offer us. Right? All of us know what it's like to have your best moment, but it was still just the moment. It was fleeting, it was passing. Now imagine that feeling that you have with that achievement, you know, Rebecca just got her BSN, that feeling of achievement that you just kind of like, everything that day, you just feel lighter, right? It's just, everything is easier today. Imagine that weight of glory falling you for all of eternity. Imagine that glory hanging over your head and the glory you receive is christ's righteousness over you there's no more feelings of guilt shame recalling what you did somebody says something it triggers a sin that you did 10 years ago you still haven't forgiven yourself over none of that's hanging over your head only glory that's what our living hope is that as the day of christ and his return approaches our hope itself would grow look at verse 18 So Paul continues, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So here he kind of has this little paradox, right? He's like, we don't look at the things that you can see, but look at the things you can't see. What are you you talking about? How does that make sense? So I'll give you another example because I like examples. If I'm cooking chicken, right, and i just kind of plop out on the countertop, the juices are kind of just leaking all over the place. I cook the chicken and I just kind of leave it there afterwards. That's dangerous. Right? I need to clean the countertop. I may look at the counter, I may just like wipe with a paper towel and just assume that it's fine. But if I take a microscope out, I have the right tool, I'll see that there's all kinds of bacteria and dangerous substances that may poison myself and my family. And so the whole thing is I need the right tool in order to be able to see what's really there. I'm not using a tool to make something appear that's not there. I'm just looking at what is there already. And for us, there's a whole spiritual reality that is not able to be seen with our physical eyes. And so all we're doing as believers is we're not just like holding on to a false hope. We're not looking and imagining and praying and believing things, hoping that things are true. We know these things are true. And God said it, and God sees all of reality. And so we believe it, and so we move forward. Which is why, just like with a microscope, we need the right tool to be able to see reality rightly. Which is the importance of God's word. Knowing the scriptures, knowing what God's heart is, will help you to confront the lies that are around you. Because all of us are given to deception, right? All of us can... Have moments of condemnation when people say things about you. You start to believe them. You feel depressed and down and you feel defeated. And once again, if we're ever going to be resilient, the way, the path to be resilient is to be in the word of God every day. Because you'll find that verse that helps you right in that moment. As you feel condemned, it says, if my heart feels condemned, God is greater than my heart and he knows all things. You read like the woman who is caught in the midst of adultery, that famous passage where she's surrounded by people who are ready to stone her. And they give a stone to Jesus and they say, you know what the law says? And Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone and they all leave. And it's just Jesus and this woman. And he goes, woman, where where are your accusers? And maybe that's what you need to hear. As you hear all the other voices around you, you need just somebody to point out, but where are your accusers? There's nobody here. Nobody's pointing the finger because it's all inside. It's all the enemy. And what you need to know is the most powerful being in the universe declares you righteous. We need that daily reminder. We need the right tool so that we can see reality for what it really is. So how can Christians maintain resilience? By additionally maintaining an eternal perspective. Lastly, We're going to see in verse 12 of this chapter, the last way that we can maintain resilience is the power of praise. Turn to verse 12 with me. So Paul, backing up a little bit, he says, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have this same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And then he goes into the, the verses we just read. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So what is he saying therefore to? He's saying to this passage, therefore, we do not lose heart because of the power of praise. So in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, and told them, be fruitful and multiply, and to have children and and kind of be able to make cities, to be able to make culture and design things to the glory of God. And as they would have children who were image bearers of God, and you and I are those image bearers, although that image has been distorted through sin, those image bearers would declare the glory of God as nature itself is declaring the glory of God. But because sin has distorted that image, all of us are broken. And therefore, we're seeking our own image. We want to seek our own glory. And so that's why the most popular songs are not about God. That's why the most popular movies are all about these other things other than God. So that people would seek their own glory. But in the New Testament, when Jesus defeated sin and death 2,000 years ago, he he gathered his 12 students and he said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, go into the world and make disciples. And as we would reclaim the images of God for God, that we could once again declare his praises throughout all the earth and join him with what creation itself is doing. So it's always been about the worship of God and giving him glory, giving him worth for, for who he truly is. And that's always been the goal of missions, evangelism, everything that we do is because there is no worship of God in the earth. John Piper, who's a pastor I mostly disagree with sometimes, but sometimes I agree with him. He has this great quote. He says this, Worship is the goal and fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private, or tribal, or national, or ethnic privilege. It is for all, and that is why we go, because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus, and we want all the families of the earth included. So we worship, we sing songs, we live our lives in a way that glorifies God because we know that he's worth it, and we want that to be expressed so other people can experience the joy of the living God. So all of us know the power that worship has, right? We all know the power that when you're singing songs together, the atmosphere. And then if you're in you know, the main sanctuary, you have the lights. And, and some people can be very skeptical of worship music because of that. Because it has power. And sometimes that power can be used for evil. Not always good. Just because you have a great experience doesn't mean that experience itself is good. And so some people are skeptical about like when there's people who show emotion, when the volume's a little bit high and, you know, when the lights are dimmed and are you trying to manipulate people into believing into God? But here's what I would ask. Are you equally as skeptical of the non-religious worship that happens all around you? Are you equally as skeptical of the media? Social media? I mean, come on, we all follow influencers, right? And we know that, 99% 99% of all the content that influencers put out is advertisements. Are we skeptical of that? It's like they're posting things and like, hey, here's a free giveaway. And, and as they post these things, they have one goal. And that's to manipulate us into buying their product or doing their thing. Right? So do we have that same skeptic- skepticism with everything else? With movies, with music, knowing that there's a message they're trying to convey. So the problem isn't always the aesthetic it's the truth behind it. That's the real question. Is what they're presenting true? I, I have no problem with people who want to sell stuff if the stuff actually works. Otherwise, it's manipulation or they're trying to deceive people. But if it's true, by all means, convey that truth in, in a convincing way. Imagine we got someone who's a famous musician come in here and sing happy birthday to Nick dumphy Well, today is not his birthday, but let's say that upon hearing happy birthday, Nick Dunphy just bursts into tears and says, I just, I've never been loved this way before. and it just, I just can't believe he would hire this musician to come in and sing happy birthday to me. I mean, all of us would look at that and say, it's probably genuine, but it's not his birthday. So at the end of the day, he's been deceived. But if we have the truth, we don't have anything to worry about. Imagine it is his birthday. And then we're like, oh, 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 he's getting a little emotional there. Don't want him be, I don't want him to be deceived and thinking that people love him more than he actually is, right? Like it's totally fine because there's truth to the fact that it is his birthday. So we have a commitment here at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge to truth and inviting questions. So that's why we do things like Q and A's. I'm totally fine. Like ask me any question. You'll hear it all the time, especially on TikToks and instagrams and progressive christianity they'll all say you know christianity is like not open to questions and they'll tell you like you know you just got to believe and have faith and and don't think about it too hard or whatever and just like i've never i just don't know why anyone will believe then if you can't ask questions i've asked questions all my life and so we have questions but we also have instruction through the verse by verse teachings of the bible i'm a very skeptical person i'm very skeptical when i listen to anybody if I'm listening to a pastor and he doesn't really quote the Bible and he just kind of teaches on what he thinks is like the best way to live your life or whatever, I'm skeptical about that. Why should I listen to you? Who are you? And that's why when I'm teaching, the more I get the word of God, the more I have confidence in what I'm saying because then your problem isn't with me. It's with, with what the Bible says. So we are having a commitment to truth. We invite questions. And then when we have been assured of the truth, We're going to find whatever means we can to speak it in a convincing manner. Because if if we have the truth, we want people to experience the truth. This is why Paul says, I believed and therefore I spoke. If you really believe, then you speak. If you don't speak, do you really believe? Now he quotes Psalm 116 when he says, I believe and therefore I spoke. And I want to read this Psalm to you because I think it gives you some good context. Psalm 116 verses 8 through 14. He says, the psalmist David says, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of my salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people. You know the book of Psalms. Is a worship book. The Psalms were sung. And here King David. Talks about. I, I had a time that I was greatly afflicted. I had a time. In my haste. I said all men are liars. And some of you ladies are like amen. I, know, <laughs> I fully agree with that. But he says. That God saved him. And what am I, I going to give back to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? He kept my feet from falling. I'm going to take up the cup of salvation and he says, I'm going to pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He says, God saved me. He rescued me from, from sin and death. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was lost, but now I'm found. How do I pay him back? Here's how you do it with the fruit of your lips through your praise, through your worship. I mean, isn't it true that like, if you do something really nice for people and they don't say thank you, you're like really ticked off at that person. What's wrong with that person? Like really, they're not thankful. Like, well, didn't I express to you that I was thankful in the way that I acted? You still want them to say thank you. If somebody hurts you, you know this, especially those of you in relationships, you want the words to come out of their mouth. I am sorry. There's power in your words and we can't diminish it when we come into church. Oh, she has a great voice. I'm just going to sit here and just listen. There's power in your words and God wants to hear your voice. So if you don't speak, do you believe? Because if you believe, therefore you speak. Whatever is most true in your heart, God says in his word, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you really want to know what somebody believes, listen to the words that they say. This is the, ri- <laughs> I should, probably shouldn't say this. This is the origin of silence is violence, but take it like personally <laughs> in that this, you know, Jesus was saying, if people don't praise his name, even the rocks would cry out. That God has to be glorified and if it has to be inanimate objects, so be it. But should it not be people who tasted and have seen that the Lord is good? And who knows that in the way that you praise God, the way that you express thank, thankfulness and gratitude and worship towards God may be evidence to somebody else that leads them to experience that same salvation. You'll never know if the testimony that you have, your experience, how maybe you were a person who was coming from you know, a background where you were abused or you came from a, a family that was divorced or you, you were lost in confusion and gender confusion or whatever, and you have a testimony of how God met you and gave you peace. And by giving God praise, you may lead somebody else to his throne. So don't dismiss that and don't forget about the power of praise because that brings forth resilience. So in conclusion today, do you know what God has done for you? Do you know what God has done for you? So our challenge living in 2021 will be to seek daily renewal in the midst of daily death. Though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. I don't know about you. Everyone look up here. I know we space out towards the end when I say conclusion. I don't know about you, but this is the thing I want more than anything else. Lord, I experience daily death. I need daily renewal. Right now, it's like every other day. I'm schizophrenic, right? Like every other day, like, what? I'm just like, everything is terrible. The world is ending. And then the next day is like, it's not that bad. (laughs) But I want to experience daily renewal in my spirit so that I can proclaim God's praises and not waste this time that He's given me. Let's pray.